And we're off another week of in defense of the Big 12. Tyler McComas in Norman, Oklahoma. Brad Kellner in Austin, Texas. And uh, wow, I thought that we were going to have our first quiet weekend in quite some time. That is not the case at all, BK, because probably one of the best running backs in the league has now opted out. Texas might have found its future at quarterback. A former tight end who caught a game-winning pass in a Big 12 championship is coming back to play. So much, once again, has happened in the conference, but I think that we have to start off with the news that happened on Sunday afternoon that Kennedy Brooks just all of a sudden will opt out of the 2020 season. i got to be honest with you, being in Norman, Oklahoma, I didn't even think that this was a possibility. Mm. Lincoln Riley said over the weekend that he didn't expect anybody to opt out. So that was good news. I mean, I really wasn't surprised about that because I think I've even told you before that I think that that was going to be the case. But Oklahoma now with Kennedy Brooks opting out, Trey Sermon transferring, and Ramondre Stevenson suspended the first five games. OU is losing 451 out of its 552 carries from last season. That's 81.7% of the carries they had last year. Wow. And I'm going to guess you were just as surprised as I was about that news yesterday, man. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I didn't see that coming at all. And it seems like now, obviously, there were some reports over the weekend that uh, that changes the narrative a little bit. But it seems like Oklahoma has been on top of this and has handled this incredibly well since the start. And Lincoln Riley has taken this about as seriously as any coach in college football, let alone just the Big 12 Conference. So it seemed like everything at Oklahoma was kind of under control and yeah, this news definitely took me by surprise. And now the question becomes, Tyler, I mean, is Oklahoma still the favorite to win this league? They've won it five years in a row. And in each of those five years, Tyler, there's been questions about the Sooners that have had to have been answered. And somehow, some way, they always find a way to answer those questions. But man, going into 2020 with Brooks being out, obviously a first-time, first-year quarterback for Lincoln Riley, the suspensions to Stevenson, to Perkins, to Bridges, uh, injuries to Caleb Kelly and to Trey Norwood. I mean, you go down the line, there are a bunch of questions about Oklahoma going into this year. What's the confidence level in Norman? I mean, are Sooners fans, I'm sure you guys are always confident that you're going to win the Big 12, considering how much Oklahoma has won this league since its inception. But man, what's the confidence level like with all that's come out about this team over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I think yesterday was as big of a kind of panic response as I've seen from the fan base in quite some time. And look, man, I I know what the numbers say. The guy was averaging like seven and a half yards per carry. He had back-to-back thousand-yard seasons, all that. I'm not taking anything away from Kennedy Brooks. I think he's a good player. But to say that he's not replaceable, I think, is is false because they have the best offensive line in the conference again this year. And I do think a lot of times Kennedy Brooks, some of the runs that he had, were a product of the good offensive line play that he had. Now, this is really damaging in terms of the depth standpoint because you're probably going to go with a redshirt freshman and Marcus Major. TJ's, TJ Pledger's back, who's been on campus for a few seasons. But, man, we talked about this front-loaded schedule for OU. Like, who's the guy? What are you, 26 days away from kickoff right now? And, sure, you get Missouri State as a tune-up game, but then, bam, you go K-State, at Iowa State, Texas, and then at TCU. That's that's tough, especially now when you lose maybe your most proven commodity that you had on your entire football team, Kennedy Brooks. He is is a special player. There's no doubt about it. He will be playing in the NFL in, in 2021, but... I just I don't think that we're talking about OU losing Adrian Peterson or DeMarco Murray or Joe Mixon. I think that he is a replaceable player, but you can't make up for the experience um, that he's had for the past couple of years, and and that's big, man. And to tie it into Texas really quickly, I saw you tweet out something yesterday to where it's like, and I agree with it. It's like, okay, well, Oklahoma loses its best back. Like, here you go, Texas. Like, make a run at this thing now. Is there any way where – Somehow there's more pressure on Tom Herman to make it to a Big 12 championship now or maybe even win the thing that OU lost its best running back? You know, it's funny because within 10 minutes after that tweet, I think it was Jason Kersey of The Athletic who had the breaking news yesterday who covers the Sooners for The Mm -hmm. Athletic. Within 10 minutes of his tweet saying that Kennedy Brooks had opted out this year, Brian Carrington, who's the director of recruiting for Texas, tweeted in all caps, no more excuses. He didn't quote tweet or anything like he didn't directly tie it to the Kennedy Brooks news. But I saw that and was like, 
Okay. Sure. That's what he's talking about. And that's the way I view it too. I mean, look, I, going into this year, Tom Herman has pointed to 2020 being the year for Texas, the year that he believes Texas can take that step and win a conference championship. Now, it's been a tumultuous offseason, right? Pandemic aside, which it's hard to put a once-in-a-century pandemic to the side, but obviously two new coordinators, seven new assistant coaches. Texas has had a bunch of players enter the transfer portal and withdraw from the transfer portal. It's been a weird times here in Austin, but despite that, just the personnel on this roster points to Texas really competing for its first Big 12 title in more than a decade here in 2020. And yeah, I think the pressure is on. I mean, I think the pressure is on Mike Gundy a little bit yeah, more sure. and Matt Campbell a little bit more and maybe Gary Patterson. Like you go around this conference and all of a sudden, I don't want to say this league feels wide open, right? And if you ask me right now who I would pick to win the Big 12, I'd probably still pick Oklahoma. But man, it feels like the playing field is more level than it's been in this league for at least a half a decade if not longer. And yeah, now if you're Texas, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, really anybody else in this league, you feel like your chances have greatly improved because of the Kennedy Brooks news and also just everything that's gone on with Oklahoma over the last couple of weeks. So yeah, to answer your question, man, I mean, I don't think there's any excuses. I'm not sure there were any excuses uh, for Tom Herman going into this year regardless, but man, it uh, it feels like this league, and, and we know how important that Texas OU game always is uh, in early October, with all the suspensions that Oklahoma is going to have, they're going to be incredibly shorthanded. That feels like a game that Texas should win at the Cotton Bowl. I know that I'm probably seems like I'm downplaying the Kennedy Brooks loss more than most people, but factor this in too, and this kind of goes against my argument and one that I hadn't thought about since this morning. They've got a first year running backs coach in DeMarco Murray. Now, was DeMarco Murray a great running back, both in college and the NFL? Absolutely. Is he a great running backs coach? Can he be a great running backs coach in college football? We have no idea. And I thought that this first year for him was going to be a way to, you know, he's got Kennedy Brooks, he's got Trey Sermon, he's got Ramondre Stevenson. I mean, he's going to have to do some nice things, but really those guys are proven and those guys yeah. are just going to do what they're going to do. He's going to get like a year to kind of get acclimated with things. And then year two, he's going to have to start recruiting well and start developing and Obviously, that's not the case anymore with Sermon Brooks and Stevenson. Uh, well, Stevenson will be back probably halfway through the season, but now he's got to be able to groom some of these run young running backs and get them ready to play. So in the past, it's probably not that big of a deal, but Jay Bolware goes to Texas now. He's on Texas staff, and uh, I think a lot of this is going to determine if a first-year running backs coach in DeMarco Murray is good at the collegiate level or not. And again, we just have no idea if that's the case. Yeah, it's a great point. Now, two questions. Number one, does DeMarco Murray have any college eligibility left? And number <laughs> two, any chance Trey Sermon could come back since the Big Ten said they're not playing this year? So Ohio State's out of the picture. Is there, I, I mean, we haven't heard anything from the NCAA, right? And I think the plan is, at least the scheduled plan is, I don't know if this is actually realistic or feasible at all, but there's still a thought that maybe the Big Ten and the Pac-12 can play in the spring. But I know for people that I've talked to here in Austin that the Longhorns are kind of doing some reaching out to some schools uh, in those conferences and to some players in those conferences to maybe see, hey, is there some sort of way we could get these guys uh, in some capacity for the 2020 season or beyond? Is there any talk of Trey Sermon potentially coming back to Norman, or is that shit completely sailed? I mean, I mean, really since last week, as soon as the Big Ten made their decision – and the Big 12 made theirs that they're going to play. I I mean, our, our our text line during our radio show in Norman has just been, what about Trey Sermon? Can he come back to OU? I mean, obviously, OU would love to have him. Yeah. And I'm going to guess that Trey Sermon would love to – he'd probably walk back to Norman at this point if he could to, to be able to play a college football season and be the, the main feature back. I'd probably say no just because – I, I don't think that the NCAA is going to allow this open transfer rule. Now, maybe something drastic could happen in the next seven to 10 days, but that'd be a pretty short time frame for everybody to pack up, get to campus, get acclimated, every, everything else before they were able to play. I, I'd say that the percentage of Trey Sermon coming back to home, Oklahoma is extremely low, and it's still kind of cryptic as to why he left OU in the first place, it's really strange as to why his number of carries dropped off at the end of last year. But I would say as good as that sounds and as perfect as a fit as that would be, 
the opportunities for that are basically slim to none. But, I mean, for the OU fan, I, I just say that, again, I don't think Kennedy Brooks opting out means that OU all of a sudden is going to play West Virginia and have 87 rushing yards. I, I don't think that someone is going to emerge this year in this offense. It always happens for OU. Someone's going to emerge. Maybe they're not as good as Kennedy Brooks early on in the year, but I bet by the midway point or by the end of the season, OU got a pretty good running game because of what they have up front with that offensive line. My biggest question now is, does this mean we see more in the running game from Spencer Rattler? Mm. I mean, OU's game plan late last year was just give it to Jalen Hurts and let him run for four or five yards. I don't think that's going to be the case, but I think you could see a lot more quarterback run game uh, with Spencer Rattler maybe now with this news. Yeah, you mentioned it. I mean, Kennedy Brooks is no Adrian Peterson. He's also no Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, or Spencer Rattler, right? In Oklahoma, I mean, those running backs, you mentioned TJ Pledger, you mentioned Marcus Major. Those guys are high recruits, right? Four and five star kids. It's not like they've got nobody talented on the depth chart at running back. Somebody is going to step up. That offensive line is loaded. Five returning starters. They're always one of the best in the country, usually the best in the Big 12. They're going to create some holes for somebody until Ramondre Stevenson comes back, and then I think he's going to be the bell cow of that backfield. But I gave my answer a couple of minutes ago, Tyler. I want to hear from you. I mean, what's what's your opinion? Is Oklahoma still the favorite in the Big 12 with all of the questions, with the suspensions, the injuries, the opt-outs? Do you still think the Sooners uh, win this league for the sixth straight year? That, well, you just said it there at the end. The fact that they've won it five consecutive years – I have to say yes until they don't do it. Just because, I well, one, I, I still do think that they have the best roster. I really do. And I am counting on them having a pretty good defense once again this year. W- Kennedy Brooks, I understand. Um, Jaden Hazelwood, I understand. Oh, you're still going to score points, and they're still going to move the football. That's going to yeah. happen. So oh, I yeah. still think it really heavily depends on how good the defense is. But I think that they have one thing in their favor that nobody else in the conference can say right now. And it's like big game experience. When, when OU gets in a big football game in conference, I know all the college football playoff jokes, trust me. <laughs> but once they get in a big game in the conference, I feel like they have this confidence that maybe nobody else in the league has. Once they get in the Big 12 championship game, they know that they're going to play well, and they know that they're probably going to win the game. And I think for schools like Texas and Oklahoma State and TCU right now, they think that they can get to the Big 12 championship game, but there's a level of confidence that comes with getting over the hump. So I, I still think Lincoln's exceptional coach. I still like their roster, and I love their big game experience in this conference. So I would say, I'd say yes, I think that they're still the favorite, but it's getting slimmer by the day, man. It really yeah. is. Yeah, that mental hurdle that you talked about, I mean, that might be a real thing. I, I think Oklahoma's been the most talented team in this conference over the last five years. Like, I don't think there's been a situation where – well, someone's expected to beat Oklahoma, but because they see the OU uh, on the helmets on the other sideline that they get scared, they shy away, and they don't show up to play. But maybe there is some sort of mental block right now that uh, that, that is with the nine other teams in this league. I'm with you, man. I still think Oklahoma's the favorite. Uh, I'm excited to watch Spencer Rattler. I think he's going to be really, really good. And the rest of that roster, I think, has enough talent to, uh, to get over the hump and at least find a way to get to the conference championship game I mean, right then and there, you get there, you've got a shot to win it, no doubt. Boy, uh, big news on Friday afternoon. I've been really questioning what the pipeline at Texas quarterback looks like because, you know, normally when you lose a four-year starter, it's pretty damaging to a program. It's hard to replace a four-year starter. I know nothing about Hudson Card out of Austin. Um, Maybe the hype on him is, is really, really high. I guess I haven't heard that around here. But, man, Texas gets a massive, and I mean massive, uh, commitment, Quinn Ewers. I've been kind of following this kid for about maybe a month now because 247 Sports had some article saying that he's the best quarterback prospect since Trevor Lawrence. I want to start here, seeing as he's the number one quarterback and the number one overall prospect in 2022. And I I know this sounds like a lot at first, but could this be Texas' biggest get in recruiting since Vincent Young? Well, that's what all the boards say. That's what all the recruiting experts say. That's what all the people who get paid to rank these players year in and year out say. Yeah, Quinn Ewers is the highest ranked recruit to commit to the University of Texas since the great Vince Young. Matter of fact, he's got a perfect score right now on 24-7 sports, a perfect 1.0000, which is the same score that Vince Young had, but it's also a higher score than Trevor Lawrence, 
than Justin Fields, than Bryce Young, who was the number one quarterback recruit this year, who's at Alabama right now, than anybody who's come out of high school in the last two decades. So, I mean, the hype around Quinn Ewers is absolutely ridiculous out of South Lake Carroll in the DFW Metroplex. Still has two more years of high school ball, right? He's a class of 2022 kid. This is a massive, massive get for Texas, and it works two ways, right? Because there were some signs, some rumors saying that Ewers was leaning Oklahoma. And hell, if you're a high major quarterback recruit, why would you not be leaning Oklahoma, right? You got a chance to learn from the best QB coach, the best offensive mind in the entire sport right now. Why would you not consider playing in Norman and look at the track record of Lincoln Riley working with quarterbacks with Oklahoma? Uh, Texas not only gets Quinn Ewers to not commit to OU, but they get him to commit to Texas as well. And I have to give a shout out to the university. I have to give a shout out to the co-op, to Academy, to Dick's Sporting Goods, to all of those places that sell youth size Texas Longhorns oh, yeah. those kids jerseys, those kids shirts, because every Big 12 fan and their mother has seen the Sam Ellinger pictures and videos oh, yeah. as a little kid wearing all that UT stuff, singing the eyes of Texas, and he commits to Texas as a pretty high recruit. Same thing with Quinn Ewers, right? When he announced his uh, his decision on Friday on Twitter, there's like two or three pictures of him wearing a, a youth, small, even smaller than that, Texas football jersey. He's got the helmet on and everything. So, you know, maybe a message to the other Big 12 schools and to AM and to everybody around the country. Like, make sure you market and sell more of those youth-sized jerseys you can get on these kids early. But, man, this is a massive, massive get for Texas. Obviously, we'll see if he can live up to the hype. Still two more years of high school. But, man, on paper right now, this is uh, as big as it gets for Tom Herman and company. How comfortable do you feel about his uh, hairstyle? Now, Brecken Hager <laughs> looked like uh, Rapunzel there for his last year at Texas. But Quinn Ewers, man, I don't even know. Like, it's not even – it's not even uh, Wayne's World style. I, I don't even know what kind of hairstyle that is. It's yeah. blonde, blonde. It's crazy. I mean, it's it's something, dude. It's a little it, bit of an attitude there. It's like a half mullet, kind of, but not as much business in the front as you would like. You know, I don't really care what type of hairstyle he has, man. If he can ball, who cares? I don't care if he looks like one of the dudes from Duck Dynasty. I don't care <laughs> if he's completely bald. It doesn't matter to me. I don't think it matters much to Texas fans. But it is an interesting look for sure. Maybe that's just a, you know, what, he's 16 years old. So maybe that's just a sophomore going into junior year of high school phase, or that's his look. You know, Trevor Lawrence, we brought him up earlier. He's got uh, he's got the interesting flow uh, out there. So maybe that's just a thing for these high-level quarterbacks coming out of high school now. They want to have interesting hairstyles. But uh, whatever, man, I will take it. And to go to your question you brought up a little bit earlier, look, I, I think there's some Longhorn fans – who are definitely questioning Tom Herman, right? We've mm-hmm. talked about it after a 7-5 sure. 2019 season. I don't know how hot his seat is, but the seat is definitely warming up. And there's a lot of folks across the country, across Longhorn Nation, who are debating whether or not Tom Herman is the right answer long term. And, you know, Texas has recruited really, really well. But so far, the class of 2021 isn't as good as we saw in the class of 2019 and the class of 2020. And Texas seems to be getting more three stars this cycle, which, hey, you need three stars. Everybody gets three stars. Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama gets three stars every year, and those guys sometimes contribute. But, you know, it seems like, okay, maybe Texas's lack of success on the field in the fall is finally translating into a little bit of a dip on the recruiting trail. Texas is always going to have a top 15 class because it's Texas, it's Austin, it's a great university. They're going to be able to recruit regardless of how bad they've done, and we've seen that over the last 10 years. But it seems like Tom Herman has lost a little bit of an edge on the recruiting trail. To get the number one player in the country for the class of 2022 is huge, number one, because he's the number one player in the country. Number two, generally this creates a domino effect. Sure. Right? Oh, I mean, no you, doubt, man. you will see guys in the class of 2022 and maybe some guys in the class of 2021 be like, man, I want to play with that guy. He's the number one QB in the class. You know, I want to block for that dude. I want to catch passes for that dude. Uh, I want to be the running back for that guy. So this can really create a spark on the recruiting trail for Texas as well moving forward. So, yeah, I mean, obviously we're still a year and a half away until he puts pen to paper and, you know, Oklahoma and Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State and everybody in the country is going to push hard for Quinn Ewers. But, uh, man, right now, just a massive, massive get. It was a great Friday for Texas fans everywhere. Yeah, it had to be – I mean, you just mentioned it with Texas fans. It had to be the biggest jolt the fan base has gotten in terms of something that happened off the field. 
in quite some time. And I, I think it's so important for them to have that because, uh, at least for me, it completely changes the optimism of what Texas is going to be 2022 and beyond. I mean, if they have an elite quarterback, let's look at the past couple times they had an elite quarterback. Colt McCoy, they're in a national championship game in 09. Vince Young, they win a national championship game in 05. Texas has an elite quarterback. They have a great chance to win the conference, win the national championship, everything that they want to do. So, again, I, I, I don't know anything about Hudson Card. Maybe he's supposed to be the dude as well or was supposed to be the dude as well. Now that you got the number one overall player in 2022, it makes me think that definitely better days are ahead for 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 UT, man. No yeah. doubt. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, Texas needs an elite quarterback to compete mm-hmm. in this conference, right? Oklahoma, what, you guys have won it with eight different quarterbacks or something like the 13 Big 12 titles y'all have won. I think it have been with eight different quarterbacks or something absurd. Like, it doesn't matter who Oklahoma has at QB. It seems like they find a way to win this conference and compete on the national stage. Texas needs a really, really good quarterback to get there. And the QB room is loaded. It really is. I mean, obviously, losing Sam Ellinger after this year is going to hurt. But, man, you feel good. Like, Texas is in a much better spot than a lot of teams across college football when it comes to QB depth for the short term, but also what the QB room projects to long term. You've got Casey Thompson, who's in his third year with the program. Like, how many – how many backups across college football are in their third year with the program, right? In this day and age with the transfer portal, especially guys at schools like Texas and Oklahoma, you know, if they're four and five star kids, they're going to transfer. They want to play. They don't want to sit on the bench for a couple of years. So Texas has an experienced backup already. You mentioned Hudson Card, who's probably going to redshirt this year. Really, really talented. I think he might be the starter for this team next year over Casey Thompson. Uh, they also picked up a kid, Jaquindon Jackson, who's a high four-star recruit from Duncanville, who uh, nearly led Duncanville to the state championship game two years ago. They lost on that crazy Hail Mary to North Shore. And then last year he got hurt in the state semifinal game, had a shot at redemption. He tears his ACL, so he can't go in the state title game. He's going to redshirt this year too. But there's some dudes in the quarterback room for Texas. Then you get Quinn Ewers in the mix. I mean, odds are one or two of those guys might transfer by the time it's all said and done or switch positions. By the time it's all said and done, but you got to keep recruiting them. I mean, Tom Herman has talked about it. You have to keep recruiting quarterbacks because that's the numbers tell you. It's not just a Texas thing. It's not just a Big 12 thing. It's all across the country. Five-star quarterbacks, I mean, more than 50% of them have transferred in the last 10 years. So you got to keep bringing in QBs just in case you lose one because the odds are you're going to lose at least one just about every year if you're at a blue blood or a high major type of program. Yeah, I mean, and this is just, I mean, for, for Tom Herman's job security, and I, I again, I mean, you just brought it up a minute ago. It seems like we bring it up all the time, mostly because of because of me. But even if Tom were to go, I, what, in a 10-game season, five and five, something like that, right, which may be grounds to be fired. Like, he's tied himself now to the number one overall recruit in 2022. Like, I don't think Texas would fire him now because – you're afraid that you might lose Quinn Ewers, and that could be the future of your program. So yeah. Tom Herman's job security, in my eyes, just got a whole lot better now that he's gotten one of the best quarterbacks to come through the state of Texas in about 20 years. Man, that's a great point, Tyler. And honestly, I hadn't thought about that too much, but you right, you might be right. I mean, I figured Tom Herman's seat wasn't that hot this year, even 5-5, five and five, which would probably change my opinion on the coach and would definitely change a lot of this fan base's opinion on the coach that probably wouldn't be enough to get rid of Tom Herman, especially in a pandemic, right? With all the questions about the economy and how much money Texas is going to be able to bring in this year versus a normal year. And I always figured it would take a losing season, right? When it was 12 games, like five and seven or worse yeah. for Tom Herman to lose his job. But yeah, this might be a de facto get out of jail free card type of situation for Tom Herman. This might buy him a little time because yeah, you don't want to lose a guy like Quinn Ewers. But on the other hand, Tyler, I mean, if Texas goes 5-5 five and five this year and Sam Ellinger plays, right, knock on wood, then if you're Quinn Ewers, why the hell would you want to come to Texas? <laughs> that means Sam Ellinger took a huge step back. That means Mike Yursich, the new offensive coordinator for the Longhorns, isn't what he's cracked up to be, and he couldn't get the job done. And that means Texas is kind of back in purgatory. So that would be a problem. Maybe Quinn Ewers does decommit if he sees the Longhorns oh, struggle for the next two years. And then maybe in turn, that leads to Tom Herman losing his job. So 
yeah, maybe he's a little bit safer, but hey, he still has to produce and perform over the next two years to keep his job and also to keep Quinn Ewers committed to UT. I'm uh, following Twitter right now because Oklahoma State head coach Mike Gundy is having a press conference right now, which Mike Gundy never has press conferences, Uh-oh. so I'm gu- guessing he was forced to do this. Uh, Mike Gundy says that he estimates about 75% of his guys will be doing mainly online classes due to uh, COVID-19, and he may urge uh, that number to be even higher after, which I'm sur- sure you saw on Twitter on Sunday, all the lines at the bars oh. in Stillwater, the parties at the bars in Stillwater. We got one in uh, Tuscaloosa. Everybody was freaking out yesterday about all these college kids getting back in town and going straight to the bar. Oh, man. And I saw some players across the country and some fans across the country and media across the country just say, oh, I thought you guys wanted college football season this year. Really? You're going to go do stuff like this? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it, Tyler. Like, the football team, the entire football team, every football team across this conference, across the country, they all have to be disciplined. All it takes is one player to go out to the bars, to go to a party, to invite a girl over who he doesn't know, and he gets it, and he goes to practice the next day, and he brings it to the rest of the team, and then boom. I mean, we got some serious issues there. The team has to shut it down because of an outbreak. We have to delay the schedule, and maybe we have to cancel the season altogether. Look, man, college kids are going to be college kids. Like You and I are pretty young. Uh, I'm 26. I'm not going to sit here. I'm doing a good job with COVID, right? The bars are closed, which helps. But even when they were open for like the three-week stretch here in Austin, I wasn't going. I'm trying to be smart. I'm not going to large-scale gatherings. I'm wearing a mask. I'm doing everything I'm told to do. But, man, if I was in college, I don't know if I'd be doing that. Oh, no, no. (laughs) I really don't don't know. I'd still be going around West West Campus and, and probably going to parties. And if bars were open, I'd probably be doing that, too. Now, I wouldn't be seeing my family. I wouldn't be trying to carry it to all sorts of people. And I never went to class anyway, so that wasn't a huge issue for me. Uh, but man, it's like to expect every single college kid, even if classes are all online, which isn't the case at every school in this conference, to expect every college kid to not party, to not do normal college kid stuff, that's uh, that's ridiculous. So it's really going to fall on the players. Can they all be disciplined enough to uh, to stay out of trouble and to prevent any sort of spread uh, to, to these teams? Mike Gundy is also saying that uh, he hasn't had any major injuries up to this point with this team. Yep. And he didn't expect anybody to opt out. So uh, that'd be big news for Chuba Hubbard, Tylen Wallace, for sure, that at least as of now, those two guys expect to play. And that goes yeah. right into the question that you asked me early in the episode. Is Oklahoma still the favorite to win the Big 12? I think it's a very fair, it's a very valid question. And for Oklahoma State, the answer needs to be no. And the answer needs to be that it's going to be the Cowboys. Because, look, man, I can't tell the future – But if OSU is ever going to make the college football playoff, it better be this year. Because most years, a one-loss Oklahoma State team, and they almost always have a bad non-conference schedule, but a one-loss Oklahoma State team isn't going to make the college football playoff. It's just not going to happen. And now that OSU has, or now I guess now that college football has a four-team playoff with three conferences, this is the year where a one-loss Oklahoma State will make the college football playoff. You can say the same thing for TCU and Iowa State, but if OSU ever wants to get to the CFP, and if they're probably ever going to, it better be this year when the road looks as likely as it's ever been for them. I agree 100%, and I'm sure there were some happy Cowboys fans yesterday when they saw the Kennedy Brooks news drop because Oklahoma has been the bugaboo for Oklahoma State, right? They haven't been able to get over the bedlam hump for the last few years I'll tell you what, I'm curious, Tyler, what the seat is like, what the seat temperature is for Mike Gundy. He's been there for 16 years, or this will be his 16th year. He's had pretty ridiculous success at Oklahoma State. A lot of 10-win seasons, the split conference championship. He's been really, really good. But, I mean, obviously a tumultuous offseason, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The the OAN shirt, the fallout from that situation a couple of months ago – and you couple that with, yeah, it seems like this is the year for Oklahoma State to win the Big 12 and maybe make a run at a college football playoff. They've got arguably the best running back in the country. They've got arguably the best wide receiver in the country. Uh, they've got a returning starter at quarterback. I think they've got 10 returning starters on defense. Like This should be the year for Oklahoma State. So I wonder, because there's a part of me that's like, you know, maybe this is just what Oklahoma State is. 
like that, like they, they, they don't recruit to the level of Oklahoma or sure. Texas. So maybe like, you know, 10 wins is as good as it's going to be. But I wonder if like in that fan base, uh, the thoughts of Mike Gundy, it's like, it's getting a little stale here. Like, obviously he's been really good, but he just, he hasn't quite gotten us over the hump to where we want to get to be a national big picture type of program. They've had some opportunities. There's no question about that. 2007, of course, comes to mind at the top of that list. But like, I, I wonder if Oklahoma State has a disappointing season, what the conversations are about Mike Gundy, because you're dead on, Tyler. I mean, it almost feels like to me, even a two-loss Big 12 champion has a yeah, shot to sure. get in this year, which would never be the case. But with no Big 10, with no Pac-12, you know, a, a two-loss Big 12 champion might have a shot to get in. If Oklahoma State can't go at least 8-2 and two this year, then uh, I, I really do wonder what the conversations would be in Stillwater. I'm not trying to rip on them, but think about this. What other head coach at what other school could go 2-13 and 13 against his biggest rival mm. and still have decent job security, you know? So I, I don't know if that necessarily answers your question right there, but I think that the mentality among the uh, OSU fan base is, yeah, it is getting stale. Yeah, we're tired of losing to OU. We're tired of not being able to get over the hump. But I think that there's this fear of this is as good as it can get. You know, there's this fear of, you know, if we moved on from Mike Gundy, could we get somebody in next that was just as good? So they're kind of stuck in an interesting place, realizing that a a change probably could be made. Maybe they could find somebody that does better than two and 13 against OU. But at the same time, there's no promise if you get rid of a guy who you're going to hire. I mean, look, I mean, Texas is a great example. I mean, everyone was ready to move on from Mac. Let's let's go to Charlie Strong. He's going to put the T back in Texas. He's going to make him tough again. And obviously that was a disaster for three years. So there's just no guarantee that yep. if you move, move on from one guy, you better hire someone that's better, man. Yeah, that's a great point. That is a great point. It's been back-to-back disappointing years for Oklahoma State, right? Eight and five last year, seven and six, two years ago, but three 10-win seasons before that. Uh, I think they've got, what, five or six double-digit win seasons in the decade, so it would be a little bit of a risk. But, man, back to your original question and your original point, like this this needs to be the year for Oklahoma State. And it's no surprise to me at all that guys like Chuba Hubbard and Tylen Wallace did not opt out and will not opt out. I mean, they, they already opted out of the NFL this year, Tyler. Yeah. Like those guys would have both been drafted without question. I mean, Chuba Hubbard could have been a second- or third-round pick. Tyron Wallace, too, even with the torn ACL injury. Uh, NFL scouts love this dude. He's got some incredible film already. First team preseason, all Big 12 receiver, one of the best in the country. Like when those dudes said that they are foregoing the NFL and coming back for another year in Stillwater, I figured there was no chance they were going to let COVID stop them, uh, considering they had already made the decision that they had made. So, yeah, OSU's got Big 12 championship aspirations. They were picked second in this conference. And you know, I'm curious, Tyler, we're obviously not going to get a re-vote or a re-poll of Big 12 media, but if you did ask the 90 to 100 people, I think it was 100 people who who voted this year for the Big 12 preseason media poll, if you were to re-poll them, retally their votes, how many people would change their mind and maybe shift their vote from OU to OSU? I feel like there would be at least a couple and conference yeah. right now has to be sky high. And I'm sure they're having these conversations, right? In the locker rooms all across the Big 12. Like, all right, these kids have Twitter. They know, they saw the Kennedy Brooks news. They know what's going on in Norman. There better be conversations within these locker rooms about, hey, this needs to be the year where we take that step and find a way to win this conference stock. Well, I, I think that it, it proves that it is, at least in one spot, with Brian Carrington, right? Which, if you want to talk about someone that can rile up and just totally annoys OU Twitter, Oh, God. Brian Carrington cannot tweet <laughs> something out without OU fan just trying to destroy him in his mentions right there. It's mm-hmm. uh, that hostile right now, and it's that much fun. But, yeah, I, I definitely think if they if they re-voted right now, it would, look, it would look a whole lot closer. There would still be some people that would say, well, OU's won it five years in a row, and I'm going to pick them until they don't do it, yada, yada, whatever. But I definitely think that you'd see OSU and Texas and maybe even an Iowa State get a couple more votes. So – it's, I mean, there's no way that OU's as big of a favorite today yeah. as they were when that poll came out. I mean, I, I think that we can both agree on that. Yeah, I'm with you right there. This conference feels more open than it has been. You know, Tyler, some good news dropped over the weekend in this conference, at least from my perspective. Now, maybe the fans of this team are a little bit nervous about this game, but 
The Big 12 might be hosting the best non-conference game in all of college football in 2020. Obviously, with the Big 10 and the Pac-12 pulling the plug and the SEC announcing conference only, we've lost a ton of great non-conference games. We all know the Texas LSU game, uh, Oklahoma-Tennessee, Baylor-Ole Miss. There were supposed to be a bunch, West Virginia-Maryland. There were going to be a bunch of good ones in this conference that we don't have. And it was looking like, the one non-conference game for all 10 teams in the Big 12 was going to be just a cakewalk, right? I mean, Missouri State for OU, Texas has UTEP. And we talked about it. We joked about it on Thursday. Like maybe the toughest non-con game in the Big 12 is Kansas and Coastal Carolina because the Chanticleers went into Lawrence last year, week one of the season, and field gold less miles as Jayhawks to death. They won that 12-7. to So we were like, man, that might be the most entertaining non-conference game we have in this league this year. Thankfully, there was a change of heart, a change of direction in the DFW Metroplex, and the battle for the Iron Skillet is back on. TCU and SMU will play. It'll be a home game for the Horned Frogs, even though they hosted SMU last year, and the game was supposed to be at Gerald Ford Stadium on the campus of SMU this year. But we do get at least one juicy non-conference game this year, and I'll tell you what, that is a, a tough start for TCU, a double-digit win SMU team. They've got Shane Bouchelle back, a lot of players back from last year's squad. That's going to be a tough test for TCU right out the shoot, but I am glad, and I think most college football fans across the country are glad that the battle for the Iron Skillet is back on. This is kind of like SMU season right here. Now, they're good enough to compete in their conference for sure, but when TCU got the news, I'm sure it was like, oh, okay, You're like, all right, whatever. When SMU got the news, I can't imagine the excitement that filled up their locker room. I mean, they're locked and loaded and, and, and ready to go. I wonder, though, and tell me what you think about this, if this is a potentially dam- damaging situation for the conference because I keep throwing out that I think TCU could be this dark horse if Max Duggan takes the next step. Well, how is the Big 12 perceived this year if TCU is that dark horse, they make it to the Big 12 championship game, but they make it even though that they lost to SMU yeah. in the toughest non-conference game in the conference. I mean, the, the, the perception of the league isn't good. We both acknowledge that. Could it take an even bigger hit if SMU beats TCU again and TCU makes a run throughout this league this year? No question. No question. And college football fans across the country will use that as evidence against the Big 12. And maybe the college football playoff committee, more importantly, will yeah. use that as evidence against the Big 12. Once again, I mean, if there's a one-loss Big 12 team – they're getting in the playoff. I don't mm-hmm. care who it is, right? Normally, you got the question of, okay, one loss Big 12 versus one loss Pac-12 or one loss Big 10. Like, what do you do? Who gets in? If there's a one loss Big 12 team, they are going to get in regardless. But the question becomes, if it's a two loss Big 12 champion this year, Tyler, and maybe let's say it is TCU and one of their losses is to SMU, then you're looking around the country. Okay, well, we've got an undefeated Alabama and a one loss Georgia this year. Do we put both of them in? plus the winner of the ACC, plus Clemson. What about Notre Dame? Uh, what about the American Conference? Like This has to feel like the, their best chance to get into the college football playoff. What happens if UCF goes undefeated this year? What happens if Memphis goes undefeated this year? Cincinnati goes undefeated this year? Or what if they only have one loss? Like, Do we put one loss American over two loss Big 12? Uh, there's going to be all sorts of questions. And you're right, if TCU loses that game, that will damage the reputation of the Big 12, especially if the Horn Frogs find a way to have a special Big 12 season. And how about the start of the year for TCU, for Gary Patterson and company? The toughest non-conference game in SMU. Their first four conference games, Tyler, Iowa State, at Texas, Kansas State, and then Oklahoma. Jeez. Uh, you want to talk about a tough five-game stretch out the shoot for TCU. Uh-huh. If they're not ready to go and if Max Duggan hasn't taken that next step just yet – TCU could start two and three, maybe even one and four. Hell, maybe 0 and five if they're not completely buttoned up and ready to go. So, yeah, it's going to be a a tough start to the year for the Horned Frogs. And while everybody else, seemingly everybody else around the league has that tune up game, uh, TCU does not on September 12th. I am uh, going ahead and saving this tweet in my drafts in case it happens. If Shane Bouchelle beats uh, TCU this year and Sam Ellinger doesn't, Uh-oh. I guess that would mean that Shane, uh, Shane Bouchelle's beaten TCU more than Sam Ellinger. Oh, uh, man. You'd be right. You'd be right. That'd be two wins for uh, Sugar Shane Bouchelle. 
against TCU. Well, Sam would end up with one the game two years ago. Oh, man, that's uh, that would hurt <laughs> Texas fans. And, and you know, because that debate, uh, it, it should be completely gone. It should be completely done, the Sam Ellinger versus Shane Bouchelle debate. But every once in a while, and you saw it a couple of times last year, people were like, well, look how good Shane is. First team All-American, SMU double-digit wins. Texas is just 7-5. and Did we make – like for some reason people are still asking that question. And, uh, yeah, if that were to happen this year in the first month of the season, if Texas were to lose to TCU and SMU were to beat TCU, then uh, that conversation would come back. If not, just completely jokingly, there would be some people who would bring it up for sure. Hey, it looks like we're going to have 25% capacity, not in only Texas football games this year, but at the uh, Cotton Bowl as well. So I think that there's going to be around 11,500 tickets distributed between both teams. And uh, boy, the hottest OU Texas ticket ever, uh, 2020 oh, there at the Cotton Bowl, man. That's going to look weird, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's always one of the most beautiful sights in all of sports, right? The split at the 50-yard line, the half burn orange, the half crimson and cream. You really can't beat that look. And it's obviously incredible to be there in person, but and even just seeing the wide shots on TV – uh, it's pretty spectacular. Now it's going to be like burnt orange, a bunch of silver where the bleachers are, and then crimson, and then a bunch of silver where the bleachers are. It's going to be a weird look, but it's better than no fans, Tyler. And, and I'll tell you what, I was surprised. I think it was uh, Bob Ballou, who is a local TV sportscaster here in Austin. He had the news first uh, that there was going to be a Fletcher's Corny Dog stand yeah. open on October 10th mm-hmm. on the state fairgrounds. And I'm sitting here like, Okay, that's weird. The State Fair of Texas is closed. They've already announced that, which I assume means there's going to be no fans at the Red River Shootout this year. So what are the players at halftime? Are they going to go out and grab some corny dogs or or the coach? Like, who's going to eat this? And then we get the news drop over the weekend that there will be some fans, 25% capacity. You mentioned it, around 11,000 or so distributed for each side of Texas OU. So, yeah, we'll take it. We'll take it. Anything is better than nothing. Uh, you're still going to have the back-and-forth Texas fight, boomer, sooner, sooner chance going around. Uh, I'm sure you'll see some oh, – well, you won't see horns down from the players. I don't know if anyone's going to talk about that leading up to the game this year, but oh, yeah. obviously that's a huge issue every year. Last year, Oklahoma, at least the players and coaches, didn't do any horns down. I'm sure you'll still see it in the fan uh, in the stands. But, man, I, I'm excited. You know, that is going to be a hot ticket, but I'm glad there were going to be some tickets sold for that one to at least give some semblance of an atmosphere for what we're used to for that second Saturday in October. Yeah, there's 92,000 fans normally in the stands and just as many, if not you know, more, outside uh, Fair Park. Now, my family is seriously talking about this. Friends seriously talking about this. Like, we were urged yesterday to like, hey, go call Texas Live in Arlington and see if you can make a reservation for that day. So I feel like, not to the normal amount, of course, but there's still going to be a decent amount of OU fans that are just going to go somewhere in Dallas mm. for a football game this year. And I don't know if that happens with Texas fans as well, but at least on Friday night before the game, I, I still think that you're going to see a decent amount of OU and Texas fans kind of milling around the city. Yeah, we'll see uh, We'll see if more bars are open at that point. But that is a great point. And, hell, there's a bunch of Texas and OU fans who live in the Metroplex already. Yeah. So I'm sure there will be some traveling down from Norman, traveling up from Austin, who will go to DFW for uh, for that weekend. But, I mean, even if nobody travels, you've already got six figures worth of fans who just live in DFW there. So, yeah, that would uh, that would be interesting. That would be interesting. E- even if there were no fans at the Cotton Bowl, you'd still see a lot of burnt orange and crimson rolling around the city that weekend. So uh, I would guess there are some folks who have a very similar idea to what you guys had. Yeah, and, and just to wrap up the stadium capacity thing, it seems like everybody's going 25% right now. Yeah. Lubbock's going there. I think Kansas hasn't made an official announcement yet. So that's just kind of the magic number. And at least Joe Castiglione, OUAD, is leaving the option open to getting more fans in the stands as the season goes along. But I would guess for Texas this year, it isn't the worst year to have this going on, seeing as they are still renovating that end zone, correct? Yeah, still working on the uh, on the south end zone. Um, that's going to be open for seating next year. So the 25% number is down, right? Normally DKR is at about 100K, so 25% would be 25K. But because the, the seating in the south end zone does not count towards the capacity this year, I think it's going to be closer to 20,000 fans in the stands at DKR. They've got the scoreboard up, though. 
the scoreboard should be good to go. But yeah, the rest of it uh, will not be ready. So a little bit of an eyesore. It's looking better. It'll look a lot better by the time the season comes around on September 12th. But uh, yeah, still some work to be done. So maybe not the worst year to have a situation like this if you are Texas and 25% at Kansas. I mean, that'd be their most attended game in a decade, oh, man. wouldn't it? Like they, yeah. they would kill. Uh, obviously, that's the easiest joke in the world. That's the lowest hanging fruit there is in the world. But when Kansas made that announcement, it's like, oh, okay. Do you guys really need to announce any capacity maxes <laughs> here? Like how about capacity minimums, Kansas? Can we get those uh, for you guys to, to be a relevant program in this conference? And that's coming from a, a Kansas fan right there saying that. So, yeah, now I am curious. And what happens – once again, this might be ridiculous to think because, what, we're six months into the pandemic and feels like we're not much further along than where we started in terms of solving this thing and fixing this thing and getting out of this thing. But, you know, hopefully other schools are at least keeping the options open like Oklahoma is. Even if yep. it is 25% to start the year, hell, maybe by October, by November, maybe the first week of December when conference play wraps up, maybe there's a way to get more fans in the stands. I doubt it. I honestly think there's a better chance that at that point we have zero fans in the stands and they're just like, to hell with it. We're not even going to chance it. We're not even going to risk it. We're just going to play the games on the field and everybody else stay at home and you're going to like it, uh, whether you like it or not. Um, but hopefully there are talks, there are conversations, contingency plans about maybe ways down the road to get more fans in the stands just in case uh, that opportunity presents itself a little bit later. Tell me what you think on this, and this is totally random. It just kind of came across the timeline today. Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet, ESPN's leading college football broadcasting team, will make their NFL debut when they call the first game of the season opening Monday Night Football doubleheader featuring the Steelers and the Giants. When I think of Kirk Herbstreet, I think of college football. When I think of Chris Fowler, I think of uh, calling random tennis matches in the summer. <laughs> and I think of college football. I don't think of either of those guys as NFL guys. Maybe it'll work, but initially, man, that'll just be, I don't know, man. It'll be weird for me. Oh, and I think of Chris Fowler. I think of Reese Davis. Those guys look and yeah. sound exactly yeah. the same to yeah. me. I can't get them apart. It's like when they made the change on college game day for, I don't even know who, I think it's Reese Davis now. It was Fowler before. But then Fowler still calls the games mm-hmm. with Herb Street wherever yeah. game day. Like I didn't even, I didn't even notice a change, man. I, I don't know if anything really happened. I don't know if anyone's ever seen those two dudes in the same room at the same time. Uh, I am curious because I also saw ESPN just announce its new Monday Night Football crew as well. So I think this is just a one-time bit for Fowler and Herb Street. I'm in. I'll be watching. I mean, I think those guys do good work, and I'm sure they're going to do their research and be prepared for whatever game they are going to call. But yeah, it'll be a little bit weird. It'll be a little bit weird for sure, for sure to hear those guys not doing a college game, but shoot, man, anything is better than Tess and book or Tess Boog and wit, which we had two years ago. Thankfully those guys are all out of the booth for Monday night football this year to save everybody's ears. So uh, yeah, Herbie and Fowler would definitely be an upgrade over those guys. And uh, yeah, I'll be, uh, I'll be intrigued to watch them the first Monday of the NFL season. That'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be fun for sure. And uh, as we wrap up this episode, Grant Calcaterra announced he is coming out of retirement. Of course, he caught a big touchdown pass in the 2018 Big 12 championship game, but he's going into the portal. So, I I mean, (laughs) I don't know if that's his decision or if OU said, yeah, we got a couple of nice players here, actually. You might want to find a new spot. But Grant Calcaterra was going to be the next biggest thing after Mark Andrews left and Seemingly, he'll be going to play college football somewhere else. So that's uh, that was pretty big news that dropped over the weekend. And unexpected. How about a couple just massive unexpected news drops from OU this weekend? Uh, I mean, plus the nine players testing positive for yeah. COVID, right? When Oklahoma yeah. has seemingly been the cleanest program in the country over the course of this pandemic, there was a ton of shocking stuff out of Norman. Yeah, I know Texas fans still have nightmares of Grant Calcaterra. Uh, I will take to the grave that there should have been an offensive pass interference on that touchdown. But, you know, we had to get Oklahoma in the playoff, Tyler, so there's no yeah. way. There's yeah. no way. And I got Texas to the Sugar Bowl, so I'm, uh, you know, it's uh, it's all right. It's all right. Um, but, yeah, I thought he was the next big thing, too. I think everybody across college football was like, damn, here we go. Another great tight end at Oklahoma who's going to be here for a couple of years. Then he's going to be playing on Sundays. And, obviously, the injury last year and the, the retirement announcement last year. Uh, I was a little surprised to read this over the weekend and, you know, what a weird year to transfer, Tyler. Like, Texas has had 
I think four players, maybe five at this point. I think it might be five at this point. Enter the transfer portal this offseason, and all five of them have come back. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if just Tom Herman is the best re-recruiter ever, or it's just like, well, I can't go visit anywhere. Where the hell am I going to transfer? Like I'm not going to go somewhere, completely move myself, and, and start my academic career over somewhere else where I can't even see the campus. I can't even see the facilities. I can't even meet with these coaches in person. So, you know, Calcaterra's, I don't think he's done with school. I don't think he's a grad transfer, so he'd have to sit out anyways. Uh, but it is just such a weird year to uh, to enter the transfer portal because it's hard to really figure out where you're going to go when you can't even go take a visit. Last thing, the SEC is going to release their schedule here in a couple of hours, and there's a lot of hints that the Iron Bowl is not going to be played the last game of the regular season. It's actually going to be moved up. So I'm excited to see potentially in week four, Nick Saban loses a game because he has an awful kicker. So that's that's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, that can happen against anybody, right? That's not a, an Auburn-only bit, but you're right. It, it, somehow, some way, uh, those Iron Bowls generally come down, at least when both teams are ranked uh, and the game is at Auburn. Yeah. They come yep. down to the kicker. Now, I think that is a home game for Bama this year, yep. so they'll probably win by three or four touchdowns, and Gus Malzahn will be on the hot seat again, like he seemingly is every year. But that's a huge bummer, man. It really is. Like, I was bummed when the Big 12 made that announcement a couple of years ago that Bedlam's not going to always be the last week of the season, and they did it because they were worried about OU and OSU meeting in the Big 12 title game. How many times has that happened? Zero. Zero. Leave the game the last week of the season. We have not had one repeat yet, one rematch, or at least back-to-back rematch uh, in this conference since they made that move. And for the SEC, I mean, that'll never happen because you've got the West and the East. So I, what's the point? I mean, everybody loves watching that game. Like, rivalry week needs to be a thing. It's the best week of college football yeah. when you're at the end of the year and you've got all of those, whether it's conference v. conference or non-conference uh, rivalries meeting up. Like, you've got to keep those together. And it feels like whether it's conference realignment with Texas and Texas A&M or Kansas Mizzou in this league, or it's just random scheduling quirks for some reason, it feels like we're losing a lot of the lust of uh, of the end of the year rivalry week. That's a bummer, man. I hadn't seen those rumors, and I hate that those uh, might come to fruition tonight. That sucks. Last thing before we get out of here, um, I think Quinn Ewers needs to do one thing. Haircut? I need- I think he not a haircut. No, okay, good, I think good. he needs to get on Twitter today and say, "Oh, by the way, to Tom Herman, um, clear out number ten when I get on campus because, like my boy Vince, I'm wearing number ten. Oh right man, I don't know if that's gonna fly. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to happen right there. That's one of those retired numbers for uh, for Texas. I don't know if Quinn Ewers, despite all the hype, despite all the pub, despite that he is the highest rated recruit on twenty four seven sports since Vince Young. Uh, man, I, I would like to think Quinn Ewers won't do that himself. He'll uh, he'll understand, and he kind of alluded to Vince Young as part of the reason why he's going to Texas, which is always going to be a little bit weird to me because, what, he was like one right. yeah. playing at Texas? Like, there's no way he remembers any of that. Uh, but hopefully he's like, nah, I want to create my own legacy with a different number. But, man, if he does come in asking for 10, he's uh, he might be the type of kid that you make an exception for but I, uh, I would guess if I had to put money on it, he's going to pick something else and try to create his own legacy. All right, that'll do it for us. We'll talk to you again next Thursday live on Twitch. For Brad Kellner, I'm Tyler McComas. It's In Defense of the Big 12 on the Chris Landry Podcast.